engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's 10 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. And as always, you can go to theresurgent.com as well. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And get my daily email by texting the word SHOW to 444-999, where you can see my latest YouTube video. I put it up just for you guys. There may be one or two bad words, so I can't replay the audio here on on air. All I'm going to tell you is that the title is People Are Stupid. It is an accurate, cathartic summation of life these days because people are stupid. Like all of the law professors who told us that the president's travel ban is per se, on its face, unconstitutional. There's no way the Supreme Court would let the president's travel ban pass. There's no way. It's unconstitutional. 144 constitutional law professors across the United States and other legal experts assured us what the president's doing is unconstitutional. And have you seen his tweets? It's proof it was of racist motivation. How dare they? Yeah, about that. The Supreme Court just said the president's travel ban is okay. They're leaving it in effect. It's still going to be litigated, but they refuse to enjoy it. They refuse to stop it. In fact, they reversed a lower court decision that put an injunction on it uh, and said it could go into place. The Supreme Court believes there's a high likelihood of success for the president's arguments, and so they've gotten rid of the injunction on the travel ban. If you listen to the legal experts, Jeffrey Dubin at CNN, among others, this isn't supposed to happen. This this is not supposed to happen. The president's travel ban is supposed to be unconstitutional because they told us this on TV. The legal experts told us it was unconstitutional. The legal experts told us that there was no way the Supreme Court would uphold the president's travel ban. And yet they have. So can you really believe the legal experts? By the way, tomorrow is going to be a big day at the Supreme Court because Jack Phillips will have his day in court. Jack Phillips, uh, you may be in prayer for Jack Phillips tonight. Put him on your prayer list, please, Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips is the baker in Colorado who was willing to provide a cake for a gay marriage. Now, I know you don't hear that in the media, but Jack Phillips was willing to provide a cake for a gay wedding. Jack Phillips was not willing to put a same-sex topper on top of the cake. He told them he would give them the cake, he would decorate the cake, but he would not put the topper on. They could put the topper on. Jack Phillips doesn't bake cakes for divorced people. He doesn't bake bachelorette and bachelor party cakes that he thinks are lewd. He doesn't bake Halloween cakes, and he's not going to bake a cake for a gay wedding. He was willing to provide the cake for the gay wedding. He was willing to provide a a standard wedding cake. He just wasn't going to put the same-sex couple wedding topper on top of it. And they decided that this was Nazi-like activity in the words of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and this was unacceptable. And so his case goes to the Supreme Court tomorrow, where the court will hear arguments on, is it a matter of free speech for a cake baker who is known for making artistic cakes? 
Is it a matter of expression for him to say, I will provide you the cake, but I will not lend additional artistic talents to it because what you want me to do offends me? That is the case before the Supreme Court. You should be in prayer for that tomorrow. So now we need to move on, folks, because I bet you're all going to hell. I, I mean, I read social media this weekend. And there was a, a Catholic theologian saying, if you support the Republican tax plan, you're going to hell. I mean, apparently, you know, it's funny to see liberal theologians on social media saying that the Republican tax plan is sinful. And I want you to know, I have replied to all of these people that I found and ask them to please do the same analysis on the Democrats' gay marriage and abortion policies. None of them replied to me. None of them replied. But they're very very sure that what would Jesus do? By the way, if you've ever read your Bible, uh, Jesus would probably have a 10% flat tax and call it a tithe. What would Jesus do? On tax, the whole thing is preposterous. Let me break down for you, though, what actually did happen with the tax policy or the tax reform plan, it goes back to the House of Representatives. And what you need to understand first is despite the Democrats' hysteria, this is in various ways the Democrats, President Obama's proposal from 2012. President Obama and the Senate Democrats in 2012 proposed lowering the income tax rate for corporations to 20% to put them on a more competitive footing. Because we have the highest corporate tax rate in the world. I thought it was 35. It's actually 39.5. And lowering it to 20% doesn't make it the most competitive. Ireland has a um, 7, I think it's 7.5% income tax for corporations. Or 10%. I think 10% is the lowest. And so this isn't the most competitive, but it gets us in line with Britain and France and Germany and Japan and a number of other Western industrialized nations. And what the Republicans had to do to get this through the House and the Senate was they needed to throw in some additional sweeteners to get enough votes. And that's all they did. This is not an overwhelming tax reform plan. Now, listen, I realize that those of you who believe this is a massive overwhelming tax reform plan are the same idiots who believe that the Republicans were going to completely repeal Obamacare when they passed their stupid Obamacare plan that could make it through the Senate, even though it didn't even repeal Obamacare. And yes, I am calling you an idiot, because if you believe that the Republican plan that they just failed to pass the Senate actually would have completely re uh, repealed Obamacare, you're an idiot. In the same way, if you think this is a comprehensive, massive tax reform plan, you're an idiot because it doesn't. That did repeal it, and this isn't some sort of significant tax reform plan. And that means the majority of the people who are idiots are the Democrats who believe it's some blowing up of the American tax code. It is a very small tax plan. It does not do significant anything to the tax code other than a reduction of the 20% uh, or the a reduction of the 39.5% uh, rate for corporate income tax down to 20%. And what will that do? That will have a stimulative effect on the economy. The democratic hysteria on this tax plan is proof that you cannot have an honest conversation about this in this country. Larry Summers, who worked for Bill Clinton, the economist I think it was he, the Harvard law or your Harvard president or whatever. He's run a statistical analysis. 10,000 people a year are going to die 
because of this tax policy. That's what he wants you to believe. That's just proof that economics is not a science. And the liberals also want you to know that because they've lowered the alcohol tax, that 3,000 people a year are going to die because of alcohol poisoning. This is liberal logic. It is the logic of an insane asylum, and it is the logic that can look at a minor tax reform package and say Republicans are going to hell for this, and this destroys the country. There were literally celebrities online this weekend tweeting that America is over, finished, gone because of this minor revision of the tax code that is consistent with Republican policy going back to Dwight D. Eisenhower. Social media, I'm convinced, social media has made it impossible for people to have nuanced, reasonable conversations in this country anymore. If you don't like something, it means it is the end of the world. And if you love something, it means it's the greatest thing ever. Actually, this is a pretty good tax plan that does nothing that Republicans promised other than lower the corporate tax rate. And it certainly doesn't do any of the dire things Democrats claim it's going to do. Eric Erickson here, WSB, The Resurgent, 26 after the hour. Y'all, I meant to talk about this last week, and with with Thanksgiving and the holidays and everything else, we all got discombobulated. Um, Stacey Abrams, she may be running for governor of Georgia, but she wants to be president of the United States. She's not even elected to the governor's mansion yet. And she already in some interview has been mentioning wanting to run for president or, or will it be her time or women's time or it, it, the whole thing just strikes me as arrogance. Listen, I've got, he, I, I have acquaintances who are democratic activists who are livid that nationally Democrats are rallying to Stacey Abrams. These are, these are prominent democratic activists involved around the state uh, who disagree with me on everything politically. And they have been coming to me saying, can you please raise the flag because you know some of these guys nationally and say, avoid her like the plague. They, they, they think that she will ruin the Democratic Party in Georgia, which is why I'm not saying anything to these national people because, hey, I think she's going to be their nominee probably even though Stacey Evans is far more competent and a far more attractive candidate in terms of trying to get Republicans to cross over and vote. And Stacey Abrams is, oh, goodness. Forty after the hour, Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Y'all, I, I want to pause for just a second because uh, there's a news item that has just hit the wires in the last hour, and I want to spend just a few minutes on this, even though you probably have never heard of the individual involved. Sam Cedar, he is a uh, political commentator on MSNBC, they are not renewing his contract as a contributor, analyst, whatever you want to call it, uh, on that network. And they're not doing it because of a 2009 tweet uh, in, in which he basically defended Roman Polanski that he would be okay if, if the man did something to his daughter as long as uh, he put her in a, a fancy tea movie or something like that. All, awful tweet. I, I remember at the time, in fact, it got recirculated in the last week or so. 
And I, I think I, I re- might have retweeted it at the time, thinking it was brand new. I didn't realize it was from 2009. Well, MSNBC is, is letting him go, not renewing the contract, because of that 2009 tweet. And before you go shaking your head and, and saying this is all well and good, um, pause and reflect on this for a moment with your kids in particular, or even yourself, uh, myself included, who have, has said and done dumb things on the Internet. Uh, from nearly a decade ago, a in public, not hiding behind anonymity, but with his name, said something uh, that cost him his job a decade in the future. And to me, it seems like some of these media companies are caving to vultures. And the reason I say this, and this is the point for you and particularly for your kids on social media, particularly if they've got Snapchat where they think things don't last and they actually do. If you are to be defined by and permanently punished for the dumb or bad thing you've done on the Internet, there is no reason for you to ever improve. If 10 years hence you're going to lose your job or eight years hence you're going to lose your job for a tweet that you said now or you're going to lose your job today for one you said eight or nine years ago, what is, why is there any incentive for you to improve? Why is there any incentive for any person to move on from the bad things they've done? And I'm afraid we're seeing this more and more in our social media culture where people are starting to realize there really is no incentive to grow up. There really is no incentive to, to, to be kind. There is no incentive to recognize I shouldn't have done this and apologize. Just double down on it and own it. And we're all going to be in a very bad place because of that. And, and MSNBC in particular has a real double standard here because they have Joy Reid, who it's come out back in 2008-2009, ran a website where she was regularly ridiculing Charlie Chris, trying to out him as a gay man. And her, she had repeated behavior on social media and on, on the internet, and they're, they're keeping her on the payroll. But they're not keeping this guy for one tweet. That's a really terrible standard to hold people to because everyone's going to do something dumb on the internet. Everyone is going to do something dumb or bad on the internet with a permanent record. And you should be allowed to move on from it and and apologize and move on. And no one on either side really wants the other side to do it. And at some point, it's going to turn out really badly for everybody. Now, we are not a sports program here. But we are a news program, and this is news. The University of Georgia versus Auburn. My goodness gracious. Now, I have heard that Georgia's coach gets his players or will find someone capable of emulating key players from the team they're playing. And, you know, Auburn had that running back who just will come to a stop like a rabbit, see the hole and and run through, and... he apparently had been playing off of that, and of course that running back's been injured. But I'm I I just the I could hear people in my neighborhood screaming because of that game. I mean, it is it is more obsessive than politics, I suppose. I mean, I, I was just shocked. You know, like I went up to North Georgia for the eclipse, and I'm out in the middle of nowhere. On a cabin on the side of a river up in North Georgia in the mountains. 
and can't see anybody around, and suddenly there is just cheering. I mean, the sun goes dark, and you suddenly realize there are all sorts of people around you you can't see. And the same thing happened during that game. The I'm, I'm in my backyard, I'm putting up Christmas lights, and the just screaming from people all over the neighborhood uh, when something went good for Auburn or good for Georgia, I'm surrounded by University of Georgia and Auburn fans who clearly hated each other on Saturday, but were in their backyards, I guess, with TVs, enjoying the nice weather, screaming about the football game. It was unbelievable, and now it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Oklahoma. But the crazy funny part of it all is to see all of the Alabama fans online arguing that they shouldn't have to play Clemson because they are visibly demonstrably better. I don't know about that. So here is a big news story that's just coming off the wire. A former top counterintelligence expert at the FBI, now at the center of a political uproar for exchanging private messages that appeared to mock President Trump, changed a key phrase in former FBI Director James Comey's description of how former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton handled classified information. Electronic records so that Peter Sturzak, who led the investigation of Hillary's private email server as the number two official, changed James Comey's earlier draft language describing Hillary's actions as grossly negligent to extremely careless. The drafting process was a team effort, but the shift from grossly negligent to extremely careless, which may appear pedestrian at first glance, reflected a decision by the FBI that could have had potentially significant legal implications. Now, it turns out that this guy also is fairly anti-Trump. So there is a question now, um, what else did this guy do? And did he play a role in this Russia investigation, in drumming up this Russia investigation? These are some pretty significant questions that need to be looked at. And Senator Chuck Grassley on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate intends to look at these. I mean, you know, for all of the talk about Russians stealing the election by Democrats, what about Democrats using their positions in power during the Obama administration, to try to get Hillary elected. What about that? Yep, I realize it's whataboutism, but that seems to be the game people play. And by the way, there is no evidence that the Russians stole the election. But there is plenty of evidence Democrats tried to align the government behind Hillary Clinton's campaign. Something to ponder. Now, when we come back, Democrats are livid at Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz just helped American families in the tax reform effort. After the hour, I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Welcome to the program. Ted Cruz scored a significant victory for conservatives and families in the tax reform package, and he did it in the middle of the night when Democrats weren't paying attention. They did not lodge a bird rule violation complaint against it, 
Um, and it, it might have gone down had they, but it was the middle of the night and they weren't paying attention. What his proposal does, should this become law, and, and I wish the House would just go on and um, pass the Senate plan and let things be so it doesn't have to go to conference, but what it does is it allows people to use 529 education savings plans to pay for private school, including religious schools, and homeschooling expenses. And here's the kicker, is it would allow expecting parents to begin saving for their kids' education. Think about that for a minute. So the left is upset because they believe that this is a backdoor way to banning abortion. Uh, no, I'm I'm not making that up. That by allowing, and by the way, the entire tax reform plan uh, will apply that rule that if you are pregnant, you will be able to claim as a dependent your expecting child, even if you're pregnant, say, November this year, your child isn't born until middle of next year, you'll be able to get the the child uh, deduction this year. Now, that's a good thing because it recognizes as part of federal policy that children are, um, children in utero are still children. And the expenses of child care and raising children begins while they're in the womb. I mean, ask any pregnant mom when she starts shelling out bucks for the kids, it is when she's pregnant. You got to get the nursery ready. There's that whole nesting phenomenon. I swear, my wife, she was outside tr- uplimbing trees the week before our first was born, literally building nests in the front yard. I mean, there are expenses, and this is good public policy, and the left is opposed to it because they're afraid that somehow or another this will be a backdoor to getting rid of abortion. And these are the same people, yes, the very same people who want you to ask what Jesus would do with tax policy. They want Jesus' tax policy, but not Jesus' abortion policy. They really don't because they don't really believe in Jesus. They just want to beat up Republicans about something. Okay, I want to make something very clear to you guys. The, the biblical commands to take care of the widows, the poor, the orphans, and the refugees is an individual command. It is not a command to government. It is a command to you. And all of these liberals who are out there saying this is an anti-Christian tax policy, number one, most of them don't want anything to do with Christians anyway and have never read the Bible. And, and even those who have, the liberal theologians, they've decided they can substitute God for government and build heaven on earth when they can't because we're all sinners. And yet they're attacking Republicans on this, which just shows you how you can't have a substantive argument on social media um, because people are dialing it up to 10 for everything. Oh, my goodness. They cut corporate tax rates, which is what Obama wanted to do. People are going to die and Republicans are going to hell. That that is their argument. So where does this come from that, that government should do these things? Well, here's the thing. You should make government in your image. If you have values, you should think your values are the best values and you want your values applied and you want your values used to shape legislation. And a Christian tax policy, a Christian government policy should take care of the widows, the poor, the orphans, the refugees, because it is a policy that reflects your values. 
to the extent there is a, a Christian government policy on this stuff, that's it. But it should also reflect your moral values on life and marriage and transgenderism and all that. And the left doesn't want that. They just want a tool with which to beat up Republicans. Here's the other thing, though. Uh, these liberal theologians who are coming out saying government should do these sorts of things. Well, there is no set tax policy in the Bible. Believe it or not, Jesus did not say what marginal tax rates should be set at. He said a lot of things, but he left off the marginal tax rates. There is no marginal tax rate that will send you to heaven or hell. It is a tax policy. And to the extent that Democrats believe that they can drag religion into tax policy and yet shut religion out of moral and social policy in this country is an indication of how far they have separated themselves from any sort of religious thought in this country. And for the liberal Christians out there who really do think that this is an affront to God, I would just like to point out to them that you are aligning yourselves with all of the people who hate the God you profess to believe in, the Hollywood liberals, the secular atheists, the progressive activists, the Occupy Wall Street people, you're aligning yourselves with them. You never align yourselves with people of faith when it comes to abortion. You never align yourselves with Christians before the Supreme Court like Jack Phillips who's being persecuted. You never align yourselves on those issues, but you'll align yourself with a bunch of secular atheists who hate God on tax policy. That really says a lot about you and your policies and whether or not you really are what you claim to be. Yeah, you know... The reason I have taken some of the positions that I have taken on this radio program that disagree with a number of my listeners is because I have realized that my politics should conform to my faith and not my faith to my politics, which is what a lot of these liberals are doing with tax policy. They're conforming their faith to their politics. And so there are positions I have grown on, for example, immigration policy and refugees and things. I, I really do take scripture to heart that we are to take care of the widows, the poor, poor, the orphans, and the refugees. That does not mean that there is a one-size-fits-all policy or a preferred policy solution. There are various policy solutions, and you and I can disagree. But it also means, for example, in the 2016 election, I, I thought I needed to be outspoken in what I thought were the moral failings of the the Republican nominee for president, who is now president. Same with the Alabama situation. And your mileage may vary and you may disagree. That's fine. But I'm going to tell you what I believe. And I have over time more and more become convinced that I got to move my politics in the direction of my faith, not my faith in the direction of my politics. So one of the reasons I went to seminary, I mean, I ironically, humorously, I guess still, the number one reason I went to seminary is because I kept getting asked to, to preach on Sundays in small churches uh, who only had one preacher and he was gone and would I come fill in? And I guess they thought they could attract a crowd. And I told them all, no, I hadn't been to seminary. Now I've gone to seminary and now don't get these invitations anymore. But I, I, I've enjoyed it. It's been richly rewarding. I have learned a lot. And one of the chief things I've learned is that many of the ideas I've built up in life around scripture really were twisted to conform to my politics. The left, though, its only religion is the growth of government. And the growth of government is seen as a utopian good. And that's not really a religion. Although it's starting to become one for them. And when they think that you will go to heaven or hell based on tax rates, they're doing religion, particularly Christianity, badly. 
404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. Them's the numbers. Y'all, a liberal blogger writer guy got online and is lamenting the awful, terrible GOP that has deprived him of the ability to get rid of his student loans, the ability to have a living wage, the ability to find affordable, reasonable housing, and the ability to have uh, medical crises without medical bills. That's right. Because the GOP will not institute a national minimum wage of $15 an hour, will not allow him to get out of his student loans that he incurred, and will not give him a house with taxpayer dollars, and will make him get his own insurance. They're, they're depriving him of his life. They are ruining his ability to be happy. Y'all know what? If you want all of these things, go get a degree, get married and have children, and get a job with benefits and pay for it yourself. And if you're out there yelling at me saying, you can't tell me how to live, if you're making me pay for it, I darn well can tell you everything about how to live your life. And that's the point. You do it the government's way. The government gets to tell you how to live your life. And if you're fine being a mind-numbed automaton for the government, this guy sounds like he is, okay. But I'm one of the taxpayers who gets to tell you how to live your life. Deal with it. It's 39 after the hour, 404-872-0750, wsb talk Those are the numbers. And you can, my bl- mind just went totally blank. Oh, I know you can get my email, my daily email that I'm now back to handwriting it early in the morning. Uh, it is, you can text the word show to 444-999. The, the president... The president of the United States has shrunken national monuments. It's actually, I do have to say, it has been funny to watch liberals make small hand jokes at the president talking about shrinking national monuments. So there's a law, the Antiquities Act, goes back to 1905. And... The law allows the president to designate certain areas as national monuments, which are not national parks in that the president designates these things and Congress can change them. Uh, The president can impose certain limitations. One of the, the requirements of the law is that the president has to use the smallest reasonable area. The smallest reasonable area. Now, the problem with this is that President Obama and President Bush used the antiquities law to expand certain areas and take them out of use for ranchers and miners and oil exploration and environmentalists love that. Obama, in particular, was pretty notorious about doing it out west where the federal government owns a lot of land but maintains contracts with farmers and ranchers and others to be able to have access to him. And he took lots of land out of the ability of people to mine and whatnot. So, problem here. 
is liberals have decided that the law allows the president to create national monuments, but he's not allowed to shrink or get rid of national monuments. Which, you know, I think there's a very strong argument that if you're allowed to create something, you're also allowed to get rid of that creation. What if you do it and it's a mistake? What if you've screwed up? What if the president puts in the order an area of land that was larger than what he intended? Well, instead of running to court, he should just be able to walk that back. But the left's argument, because they are opposed to Donald Trump scaling back some of these national monuments, is that he has no power to scale them back, that once the president has said this is created, he can't undo it, which just seems nonsense to me, just on the entire theory of American law, that if the president implements an order, he can rescind that order. And because it is a power of the president and not a power of the person, that the president can do this. The president of the United States gave a territory, a designated a territory, a national monument. The president of the United States then decided, based on a review of his interior secretary, that he had given too much, and so he shrunk it back. It just so happens that it was Barack Obama and now Donald Trump. But under American law, it's the president, not the individual. But, of course, these days everything is complicated because American courts have become so activist, everyone knows they can run to court, pick the right judge, and get whatever they want. And that's what the left is doing as the president, he's gone to Utah to make this happen today. But there's another story about what he's doing in Utah you need to know about. So, the president wants Orrin Hatch to stay in the Senate. And the reason... He wants Orrin Hatch to stay in the Senate is because he does not want Mitt Romney to be in the Senate. Yeah. This is all about keeping Mitt Romney in the Senate. Now, Orrin Hatch, you should know, promised this would be his last term. And he's been sending hints that he wasn't going to stay. So the president went out to Utah with Orrin Hatch on Air Force One to try to butter him up. And I don't know that he can butter up Orrin Hatch, who's kind of been around the block. He's kind of seen everything there is to see when it comes to Washington politics and whatnot to begin with. I, I don't know what you can say to Orrin Hatch to, to lock him in on something like this, but the president's going to try because he doesn't want Mitt Romney. And the reason he doesn't want Mitt Romney should be abundantly obvious, but if it's not, I'll make it clear. The media would like to set up Mitt Romney as a shadow Republican Party. The media would like to set Mitt Romney up as the Republican alternative. If only they hadn't lied about him and stabbed him in the back in 2012 against Barack Obama, he would be the Republican Party president. And so now they've got to rebuild Mitt Romney because clearly the votes were there for Mitt Romney. So now people are going to rally to him if he's in the Senate. And, and Trump is aware of this. I think it's somewhat nonsensical because I, I think this is Donald Trump's Republican Party now. You're not going to find suddenly a Mitt Romney Republican Party. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But the president's concerned and he knows what the media will do, whether it's real or not. Look. The media doesn't care. They just want soap opera. They want drama, and they want a, a Republican to contrast with Donald Trump. And Mitt Romney gives them the perfect opportunity. Mitt Romney gives them the perfect foil. And so they're going to do everything they possibly can to make it happen, which is why the president is desperate to get Orrin Hatch to seek another term in the Senate.
It is 55 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Y'all, I read the funniest news article earlier today. Long-form piece in the New York Times. Uh, buddy mine sent it to me. Where Silicon Valley is going to get in touch with its soul. The Easland Institute, a storied hippie hotel in Big Sur, California, has reopened with a mission to help technologists who discover that inside they're hurting. So my buddy sent this to me and, and he said, <laughs> when I grew up, we called this church and that's essentially what this is. It's going to be a home for technologists to reckon with what they've built. It was a yoga, organic food, meditation, hippie center. And basically, it's still going to be a yoga, organic food, meditation, hippie center, but with hipster technologists who are going in search of their soul, in search of their spirit. A bunch of millionaires. This is essentially church. You know, it is funny that old things become new again. People are always in search of themselves. They're always trying to find themselves. That's why there's all this liberal anxiety about Republican tax policy. They're trying to find themselves. And are they finding themselves through government and what they advocate government for? It becomes a, a religious zeal. You're either a heretic or you're on their side. And now you got these, these hipster millionaires in Big Sur, California, going essentially to church, but without the God and stuff. They, they, they accept that there's a soul but they think that that soul came from some evolutionary Big Bang process. It makes no sense when you get down to it, but that's what they want to do. It is amazing the things people will throw their money at. I, I've just, I, one day I want to move to California and just become a con artist. I, that's what I think. I can make billions of dollars off of conning these people into, into who knows what. I, apparently, there's some psychic getting a divorce from her husband. They, she's got a reality TV show, and people watch this sort of stuff. There, People are stupid, folks. I put that up on a video on YouTube. You can go to the resurgency. People are stupid, and you just need to remember that to get through life well.